Hello, and welcome to Cringe Benefits, the podcast about all your favorite things from childhood and your grown-up reservations about them. Today, I am talking to Regina Renee Russell. Regina is an actress, writer, and director born and raised in New York City. She is an avid fan of animated media, believing animation has the greatest storytelling potential of any medium. This is why she intensely scrutinizes animated media, especially media intended for children, and not just because she is an only child who was left with her own thoughts and lots of VHS tapes. Hi, Regina. How are you doing? Hiya! I'm doing great. I'm excited to just dive into this lovely, beautiful abomination. (laughs) Oh my god. First of all, I just need to say that ever since you sent me your bio, I've been mad that my own thoughts and lots of VHS tapes wasn't the title of this podcast because that feels really (laughs) apt. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, taglines. Taglines. 55 million taglines. (laughs) <laughs> uh, copyright Regina Renee Russell, but yes, that is that is accurate. Did you like what was your VHS situation as a kid? Because we had like one like bookshelf length that was full of our children's VHS collection, and that was about it. We were not we were not like well no 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 we had the bookshelf the the, the bookshelf that had like all of the Disney and children's stuff, and then we had a couple of those drawers that were full of like. Yeah. hand recorded VHS of oh, stuff that had been yeah. like played on TV. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What was your setup like? My setup was so many. Um my parents had like their collection, which would usually be kept in like their room or like underneath the we <laughs> we had like a nineties um God, I don't know how to call it, but like it's almost like a TV stand, except it's like mm-hmm. a media just like a whole media thing like the stereo was in one and the tv was in the middle and then the other side was my dad's cds and at the bottom was a little (laughs) square with all of my parents vhs tapes in it and then the rest of the vhs tapes in the house were mine like they were all over my closet shelves they were (laughs) all in the little nook underneath like right next to the tv unit they were just in and eventually they had to be put in like my mom's room it was it was intense. <laughs> it was a oh lot of VHS tapes. Were they like special occasion things you got for birthdays and Christmas, or was it was it just anytime something came out that you that you liked, it got snapped up and added to the collection? That latter one, more or less. <laughs> um, I was very lucky. <laughs> I was very lucky. Like my mom, like I remember, like I didn't at a certain point, I didn't really ask for them. They just kind of appeared in my house. So like, I remember when Mulan came out on VHS, I was excited. Like my parents would take me to see the movies and then like, you know, I'd come home, enjoy it. And then like, I remember coming home from school one day, see my mom and my mom was like, here you go. Here's Mulan on tape. I'm like, what? (laughs) When? (laughs) What did I do? It's not even, I like, what did I do? And it's like, she's just like, here it is. So I I think mostly like, even though my parents had their movies where they were like, oh, you're watching that again. Ouch. I think that it was mostly for them being honest. Like, I think they liked the movies enough where they were like, well, if she has it, then if she watches it, and we happen to be there. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I will get into it in a second when we start talking about the subject of today's meeting. But mm-hmm. like my parent, I the older I get, the more I suspect that my mother 
had a management process to to our VHS collection, by which I mean, like our VHS collection did not really change from I'm the youngest of three children. And it did not really change from the time I was born for as long as I could remember. I think maybe I could count on like one hand the new VHS tapes we bought after I I was born. Like that sort of a thing. Yeah. And there were so many movies that were important to my childhood that I remember watching over and over and over again because I would rent them and watch them every day and then return them and then rent them again. And this was one of them. And in in one of the earlier episodes, uh, someone asked me, why didn't you just buy them? And I think that it was either because my older brothers hated them and my mom didn't want to start a fight and she knew that there would be no restricting me if I owned it. Yeah. Or my mother hated them and she knew there would be no restricting me <laughs> if I owned it. <laughs> yeah. Like you can always, when you have to go out and rent the movie, you can always tell the child, oh, you know what? They're out of that movie now forever and always. Which I don't know that my mother did, but I don't know that she didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah. now, the older I get the more I realize how easy it is to manipulate reality around children. And I have just so many questions, <laughs> all of which is to bring us to uh, the subject of today's conversation. How um, old were you the first time you saw Thumbelina? I don't even remember the first time I watched it. It was yeah. another one of those VHSs that just appeared in, seemed to appear in my house, just materialize mm-hmm. out of thin air. And I just kept watching it. I guess like the youngest I would have been would be about like, it can't be any younger than three because it came out in 1994. So I probably was about like five or so when I was like, Ooh, it's a, it's a girl who's like a princess and she has pretty mm-hmm. long red hair. Let's watch it. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically the little mermaid, right? I mean, it basically is Jodie Benson is in it and she wants to fall in love with somebody who doesn't, who isn't quite like her and be part of another world. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Basically the same. <laughs> also, fun fact, um, Kenneth Mars plays yes. Cornelius's dad and Ariel's dad. I don't remember when I first saw this movie either, but like I had to be five or six. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I saw it in theaters because no. the first movie I saw in theaters was Lion King, which came out the same year. What? This movie, this movie I saw in rental and it was totally one of those that like I rented. Like I remember it as like every week for years. It was probably more like there was a month that was all Thumbelina all the time. Yep. And then I had a Thumbelina doll that had like the skirt, you would turn it inside out and it would look like she was a flower and then you turn it right side out and it was Thumbelina in a dress and it was really, I played with it all the time. I was obsessed with this movie and that I never watched it again until last night in preparation for this, which was a (laughs) whole trip. (laughs) It'll it'll rock you every time. (laughs) What about you though? Because I know you watched this yesterday as well. Like when, how long had it been for you? It hadn't been that long. I'm the kind of person where I'll get like a, I'll get a wild impulse and I'll be like, oh, you want to know what I haven't seen in a while? This movie. And I think I got that impulse when I was about 15 and I watched it again, realized, oh, this is, this is a problem. This is not, this is not that great, but you know, it looks pretty and it's my childhood. So whatever. And I'm also 15. So I'm still a child. And then 
I think it came on HBO like a couple years ago. And uh-huh. I sat down and rewatched it. And I was not six minutes in before I was on like my Snapchat Instagram rant nonsense <laughs> where I was just screw I was just like, what is going on? <laughs> what is that? We don't know anything about what? Who is she? What is this? What's happening? <laughs> and and last night was no different like i i just like there were several times where i just had to burst into laughter because it was so bloody absurd (laughs) and then it's really laughable it's laughable and then it's painful (laughs) painful painful how painful for me because i'm like i can see the potential in it i'm like there's a there's a quick fix. There's a way to make this a perfectly sound, kind, cute little movie for children. And they just miss it every time. It's just, <laughs> I don't know if you want to get into it later or if we can get into it now, but... <laughs> Maybe we can get into it now and circle back because why not? Um, like So in, the, in some of the research that I was doing for this, I learned that the script was written in about two weeks, that there was an earlier screenplay that they didn't like and that they threw out. And so they hired a screenwriter to write it in two weeks. And part of the reason that the script is so thin is that it does not do much with the source material at all. Yeah. I read the original fairy tale this morning and it's like exactly the same. The only real differences are that uh, in the fairy tale, she doesn't meet the fairy prince slash fairy king until the very end it's it's a very old fairy tale like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then there was a prince so she married him yeah so the movie puts the prince in at the beginning so there's a through line and also in the original fairy tale once she leaves home she never thinks about it ever again and she never like there's no part of her that wants to go home so like that whole through line is new everything else like they did not put any thought into (laughs) how to modify these story elements for their audience. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like in a way they did include the whole, oh, she left home and never thought of it again, which was like the thing that kept frustrating me because what will happen with Thumbelina is she'll flip flop between I just want to go home and now I want to find where the veil of the fairies and where Cornelius is. And it just keeps it just keeps switching back and forth where it's like, she'll go like whole 10 minute swaths of this movie, not thinking about home. And Mm -hmm. then immediately because the song is over, usually she'll remember, (laughs) Oh wait. Yeah. I wanted to go home. I was just kidnapped by this person. I don't want to be here. It's not even her song that's over. It's like, she spends a lot of time watching other people sing at her about what's about to happen to her. And then, belatedly realizing that this is not so wait so before we get any deeper uh regina i would love it if you can tell us briefly what happens in the 1994 movie thumbelina i so boom here's what happens (laughs) little old lady is like hey i'd really love to have a child but i can't so she goes to this witch and it's like please help me which gives her a barley corn says put it in a flower pot flower grows and there's a little girl inside who is no bigger than this woman's thumb. She calls her Thumbelina. Then Thumbelina (laughs) (laughs) then shenanigans ensue because her mom's reading her a story about fairies 
And she says, oh, have you ever seen a fairy? Like, do they exist? And she's like, oh, I think they do. And Thumbelina feels insecure and upset because no one's her size. She's like, I must be the only one my size in the whole world. And I'm never going to meet anybody who will, who I'll be able to love and appreciate because I'm so small. And then by happenstance, there happens to be a prince who's riding by on a bumblebee outside her window. And he's like, oh, she's pretty. He goes in, introduces himself to her. They have a song number written by Barry Manilow. They fall in love. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna come back tomorrow and have you meet my parents because fairy tales are allowed to move that quickly. And in the middle of this, in the middle of their song number, this fr- this toad <laughs> falls in love with Thumbelina and has his mom abduct her. So <laughs> Thumbelina gets abducted by this very, very racist caricature of 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 a of a spanish slash mexican household (laughs) and they're like okay we're gonna take you on the road and you're gonna perform with us it's gonna be great and then she's like oh yeah no let me dance and sing am i a star yet and she's like yeah you're gonna marry my son and she's like oh wait yeah that's right i wanted to marry that fairy prince guy and i just got abducted um (laughs) why And basically the rest of what happens is that Thumbelina gets kidnapped by somebody. They try to exploit her beauty and her voice in order to get something from her. She goes along with it until she she is reminded that she wants to marry this prince. And then the prince simultaneously is looking for her. And he winds up being frozen in a block of ice when she gets kidna- when she gets abducted by this field mouse and is told, hey, you should marry this mole. Which is the third abduction marriage plot in this movie. It's worth pointing out. The third abduction <laughs> marriage plot in this movie. The third. <laughs> <laughs> and she decides to just marry this mole because reasons... Like- because, well, because she wakes up in the field mouse's house, the field mm-hmm. mouse played to, to perfection by Carol Channing. And wow. Carol Channing, the field mouse, tells her, oh, by the way, Prince Cornelius is dead. Anyway, let's go meet the mole down the corridor. And then they go meet the mole down the corridor who says, oh, by the way, this bird just died in my tunnel. And oh. it's the bird that's been Thumbelina's friend this whole time. Oh so she's God, like, arguably kind of Stockholm syndromed into it because she's this is the third time she's been kidnapped. It's a dangerous world out there. She has no, no way to get home. home. The love of her very brief life is dead. Her like the friend who was helping her escape is dead she kind of it's 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 it this is the don bluth tragedy of of this of this movie but here's the thing though is that (laughs) the reason why like this isn't fievel where it's a literal child who's running around through this very dangerous city and and like having no resources to help him Fievel at least uses all of the resources at his disposal to help him. Thumbelina has a whole host of like jitterbugs who can fly and this bird who can fly. And she doesn't think once to be like, hey, let me get on your back, 
and look around <laughs> to see where my house is. <laughs> like, literally no, never does it. But here's here's part of why it never happens because the bird is the most useless friend in the history of useless friends oh, because God. like the first time they actually meet is after she's escaped the toads and she is lost in the forest after having been abducted and then floated down a river and literally has no idea where, yeah, she, where is. she is and this bird turns up out of nowhere and is like don't cry about your reasonably frightening and horrific circumstances. Just follow your heart, oh. which doesn't mean oh. anything. That that little message, it's clearly supposed to be like this movie has multiple theses and like <laughs> that's one of them. And the idea, like where they put it in the story is trash because like, no, she's still going to be lost like, yeah. this isn't like trusting your instincts and they will eventually guide you from being lost. Like, no, it's she physically does not know where she's going. And he, you're right. He's useless because it's not like she says, um, what I remember about my house, it has like a red roof and there's a cow in the front and and like it's a farm. And it's like, OK, cool. I'm going to go and I'm going to look in that direction. But until then, just trust your gut and walk in a walk in a direction and i'll tell you where you're going and he instead is like no i'll find your boyfriend for you why she's still lost (laughs) i would contend that giacomo the swallow is the true villain of this movie because he is the one with all of the resources and he makes the uh, he's like you know he's the friar lawrence of this movie is what he is like if she if he had gotten her home and then was like stay here don't move and y'all animals make sure that you protect her from whoever else comes to abduct her from her house. I'll go find him now to let him know you're back home. Like, there's no... Well, this is also a movie full of winged creatures who don't understand what having wings means. Like, you have Cornelius with wings who insists on flying around on a bumblebee. And you have a swallow with wings who will not carry around the wingless heroine to get her where she needs to go. Exactly. They only, she only ever climbs on his back to fly when he takes her out of this mole situation. And like, I'm like, for me, I'm like watching it and I'm like, okay, this was always an option, but maybe the movie's saying it's not an option. And then when they get to it, I'm like, you could have done this the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. The whole you know what? time. And I want to come back to the whole follow your heart nonsense, because first Ooh. of all, Giacomo is a parody of, um, is, a, is, a, is a parody of this French cabaret style that was made famous in America by Maurice Chevalier in the 40s and 50s. Mm. And Americans know this, know Maurice Chevalier best for singing the opening song in the movie musical Gigi, Thank Heaven for Little Girls, which is its own whole bucket of problems that we'll get to at some point. But the point being, Don Bluth movies already did this in in, in, in American Tale when they have Henri the Pigeon played by Christopher Plummer singing the infinitely superior song Never Say Never, which means the exact same thing as Follow Your Heart, but without all of the literally this will not help you nonsense. Yeah. And even like never, like what's interesting about it is that Fievel is always telling everybody, I'm lost. I'm looking for my family. My name is this. That name could be translated to this other name. He's he's very clear about, I want to find my family. This is my goal. And no matter who he encounters, 
he is trying to use the resources at his disposal to find his family. And only mm -hmm. when all of it's not working, after all of this, he then is like, I give up. I give up. I, I can't go through this anymore. I am tired. No one wants to help me. I keep trying to help myself. And it's like, I live here now. And that's when he finds his family, thus completing the thesis of never say never. Mm -hmm. This woman, <laughs> this thumb-sized woman. The this nominally 15-year-old looking woman. Woman. She gets abducted. Then finds this, like, she gets thrown, uh, like, she gets thrown down this river, meets these little bugs, and they're like, oh, we'll help you get home. And she says, oh, I'll never see my home again. It's impossible. And it's like, why? You didn't even try. She doesn't make active choices in her own damn story where she is the title character. Ever. It's so frustrating. And it's the fact that she's so easily guided from one thing to the next thing to the next thing just by suggestion i'm like that that's why the whole stockholm syndrome thing i'm a little bit like is it really stockholm syndrome if we've seen her just go along with whatever's happening the whole time this is a weird segue one of the things that's enjoyable about this movie is it has this really like old classic animated Disney sensibility in a lot of yes. ways yes. in the way that it's drawn in the voice talents that are used. June Foray plays the queen of the oh. fairies who like, just look at her resume. She's in everything. Um, and she's usually playing moms and moms and good witches and, and things like and that. And grannies. And grannies. Um, there is something like sort of soothingly old worldy about like, oh, it, it, it's got beautiful animation and catchy numbers and it doesn't really mm -hmm. need a plot. But also the absence of plot implies messages that are hugely problematic. Exactly. Exactly. Like, this is the movie. Th this movie really holds up all of the standards that like Tangled and Frozen were responding to, especially Frozen. Yeah. Like, Love yeah. is an Open Door is 100% about Cornelius and Thumbelina meeting for the first time Whoa. and immediately bursting into yes. let me be your wings and I'm going to marry you. Like, I I understand that this is a 90-minute kids movie. We don't have to address, like, all of the things wrong with, uh, with like, implications. But sure. it is odd that we never get around to Thumbelina realizing how ill-prepared she is for the world she lives in. And it never gets to Thumbelina herself analyzing what her situation is. All yeah. of it is just being guided along by the plot, both good and bad. And she never tries to actively escape a situation that she's in. Like, it's it's so it's so discouraging because I'm like, if you had made her an active character, like, it's one thing if she just keeps getting kidnapped, but if she's constantly trying to fight her way out of it and be clever or like realize her own skill in getting out of her own predicaments, it could eventually get to the point where when she gets wings of her own, now it's like, oh, I get it. It was her learning how to be independent and her learning about the world. And mm -hmm. now she has wings, which are a tool for her to live her life in a better, more effective and self-sufficient way even if she's marrying some guy when really the way it plays out is she gets her wings she gets rewarded because she was finally she was finally rescued by the right person 
That's exactly yeah. what it is. It's that's why it didn't age well. <laughs> that's exactly why it didn't age well. Like if you I want to circle back to I think yes. I think the movie the movie doesn't listen to its own thesis because mm -hmm. if the thesis is follow your heart and everything will work out fine. Every time she follows her heart, bad things happen. She <laughs> after the first song, she follows her heart and is immediately abducted by uh Mr. Beetle, played effortlessly by Gilbert Gottfried because everything's better when Gilbert Gottfried is playing your villain just yes even when this movie sings. got that right like, <laughs> let's actually talk for even when he sings even when he sings a like 1990s dance club remix of essentially putting on the Ritz with a rap break at the end it's yeah. a very bizarre combination <laughs> of things but let's for a minute let's let's talk about what this movie got right because mm -hmm. watching it last night there, there were there was some of it that was absolutely delightful, um, in spite of it being objectively a, a terrible movie that I don't anticipate showing to my children. Yeah. Um, it does some really cool things. It's got this beautiful hand drawn animation it's that's gorgeous to look at. It is really gorgeous. shines. It's some of it is is Don Bluth Studios at their very best. The casting is also fascinating. And fabulous, including having just these sort of three grand damn icons of yep. like the old theater slash Vegasy world. You have Charo <laughs> as Mrs. Toad. You have um, Barbara Cook as yeah, her mother. That's her mom. Uh, and you let Barbara Cook sing a reprise of a song that is objectively terrible, but when Barbara Cook sings it, I want to cry. Yeah. And then you have Carol Channing as Mrs. Fieldmouse. Like, Yo. just <laughs> gold star. Cannot be angry at these choices. Yep. There were so e many opportunities for this to be a good, good movie. Absolutely. I. Another thing that I think the movie gets right, it doesn't capitalize on it, but it gets it right. One of the reasons why I enjoyed this movie a lot as a kid was because I related to Thumbelina in the way of thinking that you're too different for anybody to accept and love you. Mm -hmm. And the idea that it's like, and like for her, it's like a literal thing. It's a literal, like, I have never met anybody who I can look in the eye, period. Mm -hmm. And the idea of me going through my life and never meeting someone to who can relate to me and I understand feeling that way, feeling like I'm too weird. Like I, no one's, no one's going to get, no one's going to understand where I'm coming from. No one's going to get me and I'll have my friends and everything. But like, if I ever wanted to be romantically involved with someone, no one's going to understand me. Like it's, I'm too, I'm too odd. And that when I was younger, I got, and I feel like a lot of Thumbelina could be saved if they made the thesis more one there's always going to be someone who gets you whether it's romantic or not but especially like i feel like the human the human want for love especially love in a romantic sense isn't wrong and it isn't wrong to put it in kids movies i don't think everybody wants someone to be close and intimate with in a way that you can't be, that you choose not to be with friends and definitely can't be with family and things like that mm -hmm. And I think that if they had gone with there's always someone or even many someones out there who will understand you and who will get you and who will love you 
as you are. If they had gone with that and have Thumbelina also realize like, oh, the world's way bigger than what I thought it was. And yes, there are multitudes of people and creatures that look like me, who are small like me. And instead of being upset that I'm so small and the world's not built for me, I can build the world to what I need. Well, and if they'd gone that direction, like if this movie were made today by the right studio, uh, Thumbelina and Cornelius wouldn't get married at the end. They might still be like romantically involved, but they'd be slowing down and dating. If this movie were made today, it would become like, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head. It, it would it would shine so well as an allegory for the, the follow your heart message would be an allegory for finding the beat of your own drum and how to dance to it. And mm-hmm. what self-acceptance and self-actualization mean and that those can happen side by side with romantic love, but romantic love is not the only road to happiness and and being complete. Exactly. Exactly. Because like one could argue that Cornelius technically kidnaps her. It's just that she's okay yeah. with it. Like, well, yeah, Cornelius, she- like talk a little bit about their meet cute, which is that <gasps> he flies by her window late at night, sees her dancing with herself and goes, huh, she's pretty. And then he breaks in sword in hand. Sword in hand. To just sort of like introduce himself and be like, hey, you're pretty and I really like you. And then boom, in love, singing a in love ballad. Love. And like, let me be your wings is is kind of gross. It's like, we just <laughs> jump immediately to, yeah, like, let me prop you up. Be the only person that you love, and I'll take you to places you've never been, girl. And I'm like, what are you? Why? You just met her. You didn't have a conversation. You just bust into her house, threaten her with a sword, feel bad about it, and then lie to her about this whole fairy court business. And I'm also like, that's where like the timing gets weird to me. Like one of my notes is what is time with three question marks. <laughs> this movie takes this movie takes the course of a year essentially. Essentially, but like the time is so bizarre because I'm like, okay, is it that Thumbelina between her showing her being born And there being this little number about her, which is clearly supposed to be like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, the the musical number, not just the character. Mm -hmm. But you don't find out anything about her, except she's kind of flummoxed by the fact that I'm the only one my size. And no one talks about who she is, except to describe her as an angel twice. And say that she has no character. She has she she has uh, no character traits aside from being small and pretty, and she sings really well. And it's a big world, and also she's small. Those are her character traits. Those I know. I said small twice, and that's because that's how much it's talked about. It's so. I should have. I should have created a drinking game out of every time they mention how small she is. I needed you to make it to the end of the movie, so I'm really glad you did not invent a drinking game. (laughs) Thanks, fam. But like, I, I think that this movie, like, like, like talking about who the real villains are, this movie uh, of this movie are, I also think that her mom is the real villain because her mom, mm-hmm. I mean, 
depending on what time is, like if she's there for two days, then maybe her mom did not have the opportunity to educate her about the world. But also her mother did not educate her about the world, did not prepare her for the world in any way, shape or form. And there's a part of me watching this movie, I had this this thought that like in the same way that Zootopia is also an allegory for systemic racism and police brutality, Thumbelina had an opportunity to be an allegory for mixed family adoption and the pitfalls of trying to integrate someone into your family without talking about them, about the world they have entered and setting them up, like setting them up based on who they are and who, and, and the sort of community that they should be, that, that they are also a part of outside of your family. And at one point I wrote down, like, does any woman in this story actually take action to change the plot? And the only one who does is Mrs. Toad. And Mrs. Fieldmouse. And Mrs. Fieldmouse. Who both pimp her out. Yeah. Which is disturbing. But also like Mrs. Fieldmouse, like in my mind, I was always like, oh, so Mrs. Fieldmouse wants to marry the mole. Why doesn't Mrs. Fieldmouse tell Thumbelina to not marry the mole? What Like, is it that she's just so money hungry that yes. she'd rather get the money than be with the mole and have all the money which again i'm like what the fuck do these animals want with money i don't know if you i don't know if you're allowed to swear on the show i'm sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> swear all you want shit fuck damn what the fuck do animals need with physical money what? where is he getting this money as well how he big is it. the money who's smelting this money are is there a mole mint He's also like really morbid too, because if you notice like the brilliant backgrounds, like all Mm -hmm. the backgrounds are gorgeous to look at, but one of the backgrounds as they're walking to find the dead bird, the dead useless bird is like kind of his like, oh, I don't, it's not taxidermy when it's insects, but he has like a whole tunnel that spirals down where he's taken insects and pinned them. He just does that apparently. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, So it isn't just that he's kind of selfish and hates the outside. It's that one could argue in this world where there are living, breathing animals who talk, all of whom are sentient and talking and have consciences and free will. The idea that you are now a murderer, a serial killer, a serial killer for the sake of having stuff. That's gross. <laughs> this just got this just went to a whole other level. Hi, it's Abby. Are you having fun yet? If you are, why not take a minute to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts? Ratings help Apple connect us with more listeners like you, and more listeners will eventually lead us to cool things like new guests, live shows, and everything else we need to make better episodes for you. Thanks for your help. I appreciate it. And now, back to the show. We're going to have to talk about these toads. The racist toads. The racist toads. So the toads, the first time we see them, uh, we see Mrs. Toad, who is drawn as a caricature of uh, her voice actress, who is Charo. And then she has three pretty much identical sons. Uh, mm-hmm. one of whom is named Grundle, and the others I will 
I didn't I didn't actually bother to write down their names. Molso, Gringo, oh, and Rundell. <laughs> That's right. I can only speak so much to this because I am not Latinx or Hispanic. Same. But I I look at it and I wonder, okay, where do you want them to be from? I I I wanted to unpack this for myself uh pretty carefully because uh you know, I'm Jewish, which is basically white passing in America uh most of the time. And <laughs> it, so like my I I know that my appreciation of these stereotypes and these appearance and these appearances is not as nuanced as it could be and as I'm working towards making it. So I want to put that out there. Mm. What is what I can point to about this presentation that I know is a problem is that um, portraying uh, Hispanic characters as criminals is a common Hollywood trope. And that's why yes. another appearance of it, it, every appearance of it doesn't happen in a void. It's a reference mm. to every other appearance up until now. So yep. When you make the choice to have your only Hispanic characters in your film be villains, that's your only representation of that culture, and you're echoing the way it's been uh, referred to over and over again. So that makes a problem. I want to talk a little bit about Charo specifically, because um, it's important to note that the way that she's drawn and uh, that the way that she's drawn is meant to be a caricature and a reference to her performance personality as it exists in real life. So Charo. Uh, Charo is a fascinating character to me who like I yes. don't because when you and I grew up in the 90s she she by the time we were coming up and becoming socially conscious she was just a punchline in everything and she would be referred less, to as yeah. like this sort of outdated catchphrase that would pop up and we would laugh at her and that would be the end of it kind of similar to the way that culture would casually uh discard Dolly Parton in the early 90s yep uh so Charo is another person like Dolly Parton who is a brilliant businesswoman, a mm -hmm. brilliant musician, and who mm -hmm. has capitalized her way to fame and fortune by displaying herself as a not necessarily intelligent, uh, over-sexualized, big hair, big breasted, look at me, look at me, look at me person. And while you're looking at yep. that, she's allowed to be really intelligent under the surface I think for a little while, her and Dolly Parton both were like, well, if anybody cared to get to know me, they'd know it was an act. But because mm -hmm. nobody cared to get to know me, they never found out. Like, like I'll laugh all the way to the bank. <laughs> there's an extent, I mean, th there's, there's literally a quote from her, and I wish I knew where it was from, where she says, in the rest of the world, I'm known as a musician. And in America, I'm known as the coochie coochie girl, but that's okay, because I coochie coochie all the way to the bank. She literally yeah, says this. Baby. She like, and it's not that it's all an act in that, like, behind closed doors, she is nothing like she is on TV. It just mm -hmm. means that, like, she knows that she's getting away with something when she does it. Like, there's exactly. something I freaking love women who are able to like lean into the sexism and in this case the racism and use it to get exactly where they want to be it it brings a smile to my face every time yeah i mean i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna start dropping links in show notes from now on because i spent this morning like watching her her like one of her tv specials from the 70s in its entirety is on YouTube and it's fascinating because yes. she's a fantastic performer but there's like one point where she just 
like sings and dances and bounces around to love will keep us together. And then a minute later, she's playing the hardest fucking classical Spanish guitar flamenco. And she's like rated as like the third best flamenco player in the world. She is no joke. She's incredible. That said, she does absolutely choose to portray herself as this um, as this sex icon who who is known primarily by her uh, her 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 sort of looseness with English and by the way that she uses her body. So Mm -hmm. that the artists chose to draw her character in a way that references that isn't a problem necessarily. What is a problem is that they caricature it so far that she is a character who is almost literally a wig, a pair of lips, a pair of boobs, and a butt. Yeah. And her legs go on to infinity, and she's in heels. Why? So hypersexualized in this children's movie to, like, beyond Jessica Rabbit levels of sexualization to the point that it's, it's... no longer recognizable as an anthropomorphic character exactly and the problem like the thing with jessica rabbit is that it's a point in the story that jessica rabbit is so sexualized Mm -hmm. it is a point in the plot that it's like everyone thinks that she's in on this plot to frame her husband everyone thinks that she's unfaithful that she's not she's with her husband for the money or whatever and she in turns uses it as well as subverts it because mm-hmm. she genuinely loves her husband. In this, in Thumbelina, Chato's character is the only one that's sexualized at all. Mm-hmm. And it gets distracting. And it's like, okay, is it distracting because of my sexist programming? Or is it distracting because it is distracting? Like, like the, what is the happening? farther you go into thinking about the lines and lines of, you know, like white male animators who went through designs for this character and how she should look. It's and there were countless ways to draw this character in a way that referenced the physicality of Charo without going to that extreme with it. It's very extreme. And the fact that she's like moms can look like whatever. Like I'm not saying like she had to be like in a moo because she's mm-hmm. a mom. But, like, the only other mom you see is, like, a more rotund, modestly dressed white lady. And then the second mom you see is a woman with a Spanish accent who's wearing a very precariously cut miniskirt with huge circle boobs. Like, not like a slopes, circles. Like the way a 14-year-old boy draws boobs. Yeah, even in anime. They draw, <laughs> even in, like, the most cheesecake, clearly meant for the male gaze anime, they still draw boobs with, like, a actual, f- a slope, the way that <laughs> boobs are supposed to look. Like, they just gave her, like, literally put circles on a triangle, on a circle, on an with an oval in the front of the circle for her lips, and then another oval that's her hair. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like... If you did the hair and the lips, then it would be it. And also, mm-hmm. since nobody else is caricatured, even though there are famous people playing these characters, like John Hurt plays the mole. Yes, Harold does. 
yeah, Carol Channing plays the field mouse. None of them look like the people that they're supposed to be in life. So why would you choose this moment to caricature Chato? And they're the only ones that are othered, even though everybody else is like, there are plenty of like gross people in this movie. Like as, as delightful as Gilbert Godfrey's performance is, the Beatle to me is it's the gross. most egregious just he comes out of nowhere like literally comes out of the sky so you're like oh this is a thing i guess beetles are just looking for talent to put in this beetle ball thing whatever i guess and then it just quickly turns into like oh you're gorgeous and he like starts to like oh it's so gross like he kisses her hand and 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 she is reasonably like, no, stop touching me. I don't even know you. Know you. She says that literally. But he does the same thing that Mrs. Toad just did, which is like he sweeps her away with promises that she'll be the star of the Beetle Ball, which which is what's so frustrating about Thumbelina as a character is like, as you alluded to earlier, if at every successive abduction, she was smarter and it was harder yes. for her to be abducted or she had to be abducted in a different way or the naivety came from her finding people who are supposed to help her out of her situation. And then horrifically, mm -hmm. they like... They manipulated her. They Prince Hans at her. Spoilers for Frozen. I guess I'll put that in content warnings. Um, no, what's frustrating is she's as stupid at every turn. To be fair to Thumb, to Thumb Thumb, like Aww. she... Thumb Thumb. To thumb, thumb Thumb. Like, to be fair to Thumb Thumb, like, the beetle does literally grab her and take her away. Which Fair. is a little bit, like, at every subsequent abduction, it isn't that she's, it. she always is surprised. Like, the first abduction with the toad, with Mrs. Toad, she, like, s she sleeps in a walnut, which I always thought was adorable. It is adorable. Like, she sleeps, like, she snaps her walnut closed and, uh, right? <laughs> and just... <laughs> just sweeps her away like literally just like catches her sleeping and carries her away mm -hmm. in the beetle he try like he doesn't he kind of tries to convince her but doesn't he literally comes out of nowhere is rapey and then carries her away like literally just sweeps her right the hell away and then with the field mouse she's about to die of cold and the field mouse takes her into her house like <laughs> The field mouse is just, that one was so upsetting. So she, yeah. so Thumbelina, like after having escaped from the beetle and having run into Giacomo again and Giacomo again mm. being so useless and he flies away and she is trapped in the middle of winter with no shelter and she like passes out. And when she wakes up, she's in Mrs. Field Mouse's burrow and Mrs. Field Mouse is making her tea and is like, oh, you would have died if I hadn't rescued you. Uh, I heard you used to be engaged to the prince. And she's like, well, I think I kind of still am. No, you're not. He's dead now. He froze to death. Anyway, uh, come with me to see Mr. Mole. And Thumbelina yeah. is reasonably like, no, I'm upset now. I don't want to go anywhere. I need anywhere. to stay here. Yeah. I need to have feelings. And Mrs. Fieldmouse says, really? I saved your life today and you can't come see Mr. Mole with me? Like immediate, immediate. emotional manipulation. Immediate. Just so upsetting. Everything that happens in that burrow is a horror show up to and including the uh the carol channing power number marry the mole which oh my god 
Did you know that Mary the Mole is the only song from an animated film to win a Razzie Award for Worst Song? I found that out last night. Yes, you looked at the same, which I gotta say, I actually, I don't agree. It's yep. like, of the, of the songs in this movie that could have won a Razzie Award, there are worse ones. There are way worse. I would, who, who would I give it to? I could have given a Razzie Award to follow your heart. But back to Mary the Mole. Here's, yes, I need to sorry. defend Mary the Mole. Here's the thing. It is, <laughs> it has a complex rhyming structure that self refers to itself across three different verses. It is written fantastically in the full style of Carol Channing at her Carol Channingist, Channing-est. referring specifically to Carol Channing's version of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, which is the original version of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, because Carol Channing originated Gentlemen Prefer Blondes on Broadway before Marilyn Monroe played it in the movie. So it's a freaking musical tribute. Second of all, Carol Channing sells the fuck out of that song. She sings it so hard. And Thirdly, this is a song that happens once for a minute and 53 seconds. It knows exactly what it's supposed to do. It does mm-hmm. it, it gets in, and it gets out before it gets tiresome. It is a, I, I stand Mary the Mole so hard and I will fight <laughs> anyone who disagrees with me. Uh, and it is honestly the only melody that I remember from this movie at this moment. It probably, I would argue it's the only song that actually furthers the plot where like at the beginning of it, we're on, she doesn't want to marry the mole. He's gross. We've, we've seen he's gross. There's nothing good about him. And then by the end of the song, given the scene that comes later, she's been convinced, okay, he could take care of me. It can't be that bad. I've already lost the love of my life. I'm never going to love like this again because... Her and Cornelius are both very young, and we all think that when our first love kind of fizzles into nothing. Yeah. And, and like, I'm like, okay, so this is the only one that actually does something in the plot. The rest of it just exists to be a song. And in a way, as, as wrong as it is, you can kind of see her point. It's yeah, like, it's a really solid villain song, is what it is. Yeah. Because, again, the real villains of this, I mean, there's so many villains, so many, like, quote, unquote, actual villains that the screenwriter intended to be villains. And Mrs. Fieldmouse is my favorite because she's just the most manipulative, the most sociopathic. And she has a badass song that reminds me of, like, uh, Easy Street and mm-hmm. poor unfortunate souls. I mean, it's. I'm not yep. suggesting that it's as good as either of them, but it's in that vein of vein. like, yeah, it's in that vein of I am callous and cynical, and I take so much joy in those feelings. Yep, and I'm gonna convince you of my way of life. I'm gonna convince you that this is a good idea. Only in the mole plot, to me, do we get to something that is of substance at all in this movie, but especially when it comes to Thumbelina's character. The first time in this whole movie that she actually tries to get out of the situation she's found herself in. And what's sick is that the only one could argue that the only reason why she feels she can do that now is because Cornelius is dead. She thinks Cornelius is dead is like, 
So, like, so for people who are listening who forget the plot of Thumbelina, eventually Cornelius goes off on a really stupid chase to find Thumbelina. He, I'll get into why it's stupid later. He's so stupid. But he's so dumb. And he gets frozen in a pond. The fastest freezing pond this side of, like, this this south of the Arctic Circle. Just yes. Thus freezes in two seconds. It's and an Avatar Last Airbender freezing. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's the next Avatar. We should have known. <laughs> we should have known. <laughs> oh god. That's not a fan fiction I want to read, but now I need to read it. <laughs> so Cornelius is frozen and then uh Grundle uh forces the beetle to go find cornelius under i guess the the plan is if grundle has cornelius kidnapped he can lure thumbelina back to marry him because he's never stopped looking for her and that's another plot that just kind of falls away um thumbelina thinks he's dead for the whole mole section of the movie right and now she decides to make decisions which like doesn't bode well for their relationship if she was fine like just being guided along because the plot said so until he died then she's like oh now i actually have to make a choice for myself and it still rotates around who she's going to be romantically involved with like it's you know what the narrative opportunity was here that I, I want to see in a movie is like her whole decision to marry the mole is predicated on I have to decide what the rest of my life is going to look like right now. And since I'm not going to marry Cornelius and I haven't been able to get home, uh, since I'm not going to marry Cornelius because he's presumably dead and I mm-hmm. haven't been able to get home and there's no guarantee that I will get home. My best option for the rest of my life is to marry this person I don't love who kind of physically repulses me because he'll Mm -hmm. take care of me. And that's such a like, there's such a, I think, a common thought pattern to us when we're teenagers. Like the younger we are, the more we think we know what the rest of our lives are going to look like. And the more that we think, the more we think we can decide what the rest of our lives are going to look like. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize that like, I don't, I have no idea what's going to happen next to me. And that's kind of, that's kind of fine. Yeah. And that's kind of like the, it's stressful, but that's kind of the fun of living is the idea that it's like, yes, absolutely. Like think about what you want your future to look like, but completely accept the, like life is more or less like accepting the fact that your plans will be laughed at by a higher power and your life is going to be dictated by how well you adapt to your setbacks. Yes. And and there and like you're right, there is a level of a very interesting and important message, especially for young women, because the idea, like, you know, like for a while it was you're going to like even in media that tries to fight against that pattern. The pattern has always been set up where it's like, people will make decisions for you. You don't have a lot of agency to make your own decisions. So be okay with things happening. Yeah. And and I think that it's something interesting as a young woman to see a young woman make decisions about how her life is going to be. Yeah. And even if you're in a situation that seems impossible and seems like you're way in over your head... One, it's okay to sit down and think about the best solution 
and like literally just sit down and think about it. Not just if I sit here long enough, somebody else will come and abduct me or somebody else will tap at my but window that's the and thing, say, like follow me. Her life- you know? so far has been a surprise every day. Every day that yeah. we've seen her, something completely unforeseen has come and changed her circumstances. So for her to decide that the best choice to settle the rest of my life is to marry this mole is laughable because she doesn't yeah. know what tomorrow is going to be or the next day or the next day. And the happy ending that I want for her is to realize I don't have to make a decision about what the rest of my life is going to look like because I have no idea what the rest of my life is rest going to look like. Rest of my life is going to look like. And I'm grieving yeah. now and I'm lonely now and I'm cold and alone now and that's going to suck for a little while, but that doesn't mean I'm going to feel that way forever. And in the meantime, I don't need to make a decision about the rest of my life based on what I'm feeling and where I am right now. That's the agency that I want her to have. And that's why I want her to say no to the mole when the real reason she does is basically she's walking down the aisle and she starts hallucinating Cornelius singing, let me be your wings. And she remembers, I still love Cornelius, even though he's dead. And I don't love the mole. So I won't marry the mole. That's it. Yeah. It's like Cornelius keeps popping in and it's like, I want both of them to have more agency because oddly enough, Cornelius doesn't have that much character. Like, so often it's like, okay, here's the chick and the dude, and the dude has all the agency and the chick's just here. But they both are, like, in a way it's kind of encouraging that they <laughs> both are as dumb as each other. They're so like, meant oh, to okay. be. Those tiny yeah. idiots will have such beautiful, empty-headed children. Just, like, tap on the kid's head and you can play bongos. Just that <laughs> Like, at least they're both as... In, at least they're both as invested as each other in this whole operation but they're both as dumb he has a whole fairy court he's the prince his wife, his wannabe wife is kidnapped why wouldn't you take the whole of a fairy court to look for this woman? why is it just you? why would you, also like what are your powers as fairies? is it just that you make the seasons change and fly? do you have other powers? like can you like that ring you have is it a tracker like what what are you what what like what do you do exactly what do you do and he has no leads like it isn't like he's detectiving how do i find this woman that i love so much mm -hmm. where is she who saw her last oh she and like also and i'm like it would be so easy to plant clues for this man Normally, when there's like a missing princess or a missing somebody, yes. there's a prophecy. There's like, oh, I found like a piece of her cloth that was caught on a branch. And Freaking now Prince I Humperdinck and the Princess Bride is better at finding his princess than Prince Cornelius and Thumbelina. Hello! And she gave him no clues because she didn't want to be found. Like, I just... It's so ridiculous. It's so utterly ridiculous. I'm like, why? Why? What? Just no. And like, as if, and for me, I'm like, it's so stupid to the point where it's clear that the writing is messed up, which is another problem. With well, because there kind of is no writing. Like, honestly, my big objection to the script was I can't get behind any of these characters because they have no sense of humor. They're just so no. disingenuous. Disingenuous is not the word. Uh, they're so they're so naive and twee and yes. like heart on their sleeves. And you can be heart on your sleeves and twee and delightful, but also like the script at least needs to have a sense of irony and humor about it if that's the case. 
Exactly. There's just no, neither Thumbelina nor Cornelius have any personality. None. At all. None. And it's so disturbing because I'm like, okay, we're going to dive in because I've thought really hard about this. Okay. take Take me on your journey. Right. So, one, this makes me think of characters like Snow White and Cinderella. Yes. These are characters. Yes. These are characters where everybody posts, like, especially now when we're examining female characters, especially, and questioning their agency, questioning how good they are for the feminist movement and all this stuff. These are characters that are relentlessly criticized because, oh, all they do is clean. And they're always seen as domestic. And then they get with the first man they ever met and all this stuff. And when you sit down and you actually look at the actions that happen in the stories that they're in, yes, they are very domestic. Yes, the stories are very simple, especially Snow White. But at the very least, in the stories they're in, as controlled of an environment as they're in, They are actively trying to make the situation they're in better for themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, especially Cinderella. Mm -hmm. Cinderella is in a very abusive household. Like, clearly abusive. She's lost both parents. She's forced to clean her whole house. Live in a tower with, like, clearly no heat, no electricity, no running water. And she's responsible for these three grown women who should also be helping her in taking care of the family unit. But it's just her. And in the ways in which she tries to she she tries to be compassionate and she tries to be kind and she tries to be fair to these women, but they abuse her at every turn. And in the ways that she can speak up and advocate for herself, she tries to. She tries to play their game and win at the game that she's given. And she keeps trying, like, Cinderella is always trying to play by the rules. It's just that there is a system that is moving the goalpost so she never succeeds. She's always active in her own story. It's just that she is literally being kept down by someone who has determined to make her life difficult. Whereas with somebody like Thumbelina, she has no agency at all. Yes, she's kidnapped. Yes, she is thrown into these extraordinary circumstances in a world that she does not understand at all and has no clue about at all. But she never tries to play by the rules that she's learning. It's literally just, I'm gonna be here. Like, mm-hmm. she isn't even naive. She just literally is. She just exists. <laughs> and the plot keeps tossing her around. It's a constant series of her letting people take her to secondary locations. She has no street yes. smarts whatsoever. She didn't watch Oprah. She like... didn't watch Oprah. She didn't even watch John Mulaney. She's got oh. nothing going for her. Nothing at all. It's so depressing. Ugh. And it's... It makes me, and I'm like, when people talk about female characters with no agency, and they talk about Cinderella and Snow White, and even Aurora, which to me, I'm kind of like, yeah, Aurora's pretty fair. But, (laughs) but like, even with those two, I'm like, they are thrown into extraordinary circumstances. And just because they make the best out of the circumstance they're in, 
and they happen to fall in love with a man doesn't mean that they're just this paragon of this is what not to do if you want to be a good feminist and you should always have agency in your life. It's like, yes, you should. And they do to the extent that they can. But sometimes you're going to encounter circumstances that you can't just feminist your way out of. Yeah. There is no, there, like, you're, you're stuck in an abusive household. So yes, you have to clean because the evil queen told you you have to clean. And if she's the clean, evil queen, die. which means she's in charge of literally everybody. There really isn't a lot of recourse there. And the options for these women are, like, what are they? I understand that you could argue that it's a writing problem where, like, their only options are stay in your abusive house or marry a guy. Like, yes, women have plenty of other options. But is it so wrong of an option to be with someone who makes you happy, who loves you, clearly is as crazy about you as you are about them? And who treats you well when all you've known is cruelty. Yeah. It's something we and lose anytime a discourse gets too reductionist, which is like, yes. I mean, I, I fucking love romantic happy endings. I read mm -hmm. I read romance novels by choice. I yes. want the characters who are meant to be together to wind up together. The problem is that uh, sometimes the marriage plot is... Uh, enacted as a substitute for any actual personal development. And we see that exactly. most egregiously in Thumbelina, where she has no personal development, no motivation, no defining mm -hmm. character traits. And her entire arc is defined by people trying to marry her until she finds the one that she wants to marry and agrees. That's it. All of which is to say, uh, given the comparative lack of nuance in Thumbelina, is this a movie that now seeing it with your eyes as open as they are now as an adult that you can keep, that you still enjoy? I would keep it as like a bad movie night. Like with me and my, like with me and like my best friend from high school, shout out to Kaylee Morgan. She <laughs> like, we would, we would always do this where we would watch a movie from our childhood and as we're watching it with wine, we'll just be like, we'll keep pausing it and being like, what the hell did we, <laughs> did we forget that happened? Or was that always there? I swear to, is this Mandela effect where this just appeared out of nowhere? Or was that always there? And have I always watched this movie unironically? Mm -hmm. So as an ironic wine night watch with, fellow friends especially femme friends will be like what is that i would keep it for that in terms of keeping it to genuinely enjoy it i don't think i can anymore i can look at it and think it's beautiful i can enjoy some of the songs i kind of like like if if it was a if it was a mixtape on its own if it was like it's just this is a concept album we don't have a movie attached to it it'd be like follow your heart would always be dumb like just it would always be dumb but mm -hmm. i could enjoy it i could enjoy the songs separately i can enjoy the art of the movie but i cannot i cannot i cannot <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot enjoy this movie anymore yeah, I mean, watching it last night for possibly the first time in 25 years, 
gave me like g- gave me some little happy tingles and my notes are full of moments of I li- like I I will say that I literally did not remember what happens in this movie and I am not surprised because like so little happens in this movie until oh, yeah. the end I remembered the bit about her getting wings and then of course like as moments would happen I'd go oh yeah this is the Mary the Mole song and I remember like really digging this and then yeah uh and and I remembered the beetle ball and like I got <laughs> little happy tingles from some really beautiful animation sequences that are in this movie. Um, like, I think that Let Me Be Your Wings is insipid and happens at the wrong time in the plot. And also that animation sequence is gorgeous and it I will is. watch it on its own and not in the full context of the movie. Honestly, there are moments from this movie that I will watch again on their own. But like... yeah. I can actually see myself in, in in kind of a similar, I want to watch something that I'm not planning to take remotely seriously. I'm sick and I want to eat cookies and drink tea and have something on in the background. I can see myself putting this on because it makes me feel like a six-year-old at home under the covers. But like yes. in terms of it being, like I am never going to hold this up as a classic of my childhood, you know? Once you mix all those ingredients together, the Thumbelina cookie is not something that I need to eat ever again. No. And it's, it's not it's, something I need to feed to my kids. No. I I go back and forth with this because I'm like, okay, there are movies from my childhood that if and when I have kids, I'm like, you need to see it. And because mommy said so. And <laughs> And like it'll, and like hopefully they like it would break my heart like into a million pieces if my kids were like, "Ew, Beauty and the Beast. Why do we watch that? Like, uh, uh, why did I have you?" Like, <laughs> I would never say that. No, just I say just have fun in your life. new home and kick them out the front door. End of discussion. Right. Right. End of discussion. It's the end. Um, but you know, like there are movies where I'm like, I need them to see it, and even some movies, especially John Bluth movies, that are interesting, where I'm like. His movies particularly, I don't know which ones I would keep for my children and which ones I would be like, you should never see this. Because ultimately, I do think that Thumbelina is harmless. I think it is so much of nothing Mm -hmm. that if you showed it to a kid, there really isn't anything they can take from it. Yeah. I mean, when when I... You and I grew up to be people who appreciate the ways in which it failed us as children and it, it... didn't do us any lasting harm no it's not like like there are movies that you can show kids that are like actively like oh yeah why would you ever but this movie is so little of anything that i can't if if my kids happened to see it or if i happened to keep the tape or if they were like hey mommy can we get this one you know if it if it's like the 30th 40th anniversary of the movie and they have it on blu-ray or something i can't sit there and say that i would tell them no not necessarily i wouldn't be excited to get it honestly like this is this is why blockbuster needs to come back because renting it is perfect they they take it off the shelf they say let's watch it and if they watch it and they're like this isn't very good then one, I get to be a proud parent of a child who has taste <laughs> and two, way better taste than I did when I was a kid. 
And two, at least we didn't, at least it doesn't have to live in the house forever. Because it's also, I feel like it's almost like the ring where I can't give it to anybody. If I have it in my possession, I can't give it to anybody else who's not my family. Like <laughs> I can't I can't in good conscience like buy Thumbelina as like a baby shower gift right. for, for a friend or a cousin of mine. So it's not it's something not that, that you would voluntarily uh, engage your children or anybody else's children with, but it's not something that's so objectionable that you would prevent your children from engaging with it on their own, uh, of their own volition. Precisely. Yeah. Troll in Central Park, I would be that parent who's like, no. Like, my, I wanted to see Good Burger when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mom, please, please, please. It's in theaters. It's got like X amount of stars. I think it was like two and a half or something in the <laughs> Daily News at the time. And I was like, no, mom, we got to go see it. She's like, I am not taking you to see Good Burger. And my dad was like, not going to take me to see movies at all. So like, at the end of the day, we, I never saw it until it came out on tape. And I was like, we're getting it. They're like, that's fine. You can watch it in the other room. I never have to know it exists. So like I would I wouldn't good burger <laughs> Thumbelina for my children. But there are other like there are other movies where like I would good burger a troll in Central Park for my children. Regina, it was a pleasure having you on today. Like just yes. everything I expected it to be and more. Um, Yay! If listeners want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? Uh, I'm on Instagram mostly at Reggie Renee, Reggie with an I, R-E-G-G-I, R-E-N-E-E. -E. And yeah. Excellent. And Twitter. And Twitter also Reggie Renee. Regina Renee 594. I'll drop both of those handles in the show notes. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Abby Wild. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a magical journey. We'll be back next week for another childhood favorite that's become a grown-up regret. Bye. Bye.